Hey, Pasa Mufasa, welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. This is a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. I'm your host, Dennis Walker. Let's get down to business. Okay, Pasa Mufasa, Mike Tyson. We are huge fans of your work, have been for a long time. It's an honor to have you on the Mycopreneur Podcast. How's it going today? Hey man, it's going great. It's been a busy week. You know, we're winding things down. Got all of our orders shipped out. Everything's good. We shipped out more tincture this week than anything else, which is like my favorite thing to do at this point in my life. I'm sure, you know, we'll dig into that. But, you know, it's just like that was a milestone for me. I was like, wow, we sent out like 60 bottles of tincture today. Like, what? Like, it's so cool. I understand you're wanting to move more in that direction of doing more tinctures and pivoting more towards doing the Herisium Labs tinctures. Can you tell us more about that process? Yeah, for sure. So that's like what got me first started with mushrooms was essentially I came back from Iraq. I was all messed up like a lot of veterans are. And I was just trying every drug I could in the world. And then I tried magic mushrooms and I was like, whoa, mushrooms like open up my world to a whole new understanding of uh, natural medicine, right? So uh, at the time I was experimenting with nootropics because my brain was messed up and I was just trying to find something, anything that I could take that would make my brain work like a normal person's brain should, or what at least I expected a normal person's brain should work like, right? And then I was reading through a Paul Stamets magazine, a Fungi Perfecti magazine, and like I get to the end and there's this cross-reference chart that says the medicinal benefits of all the mushrooms. And now keep in mind, I'm still fresh off this mushroom trip, like in love with the world, in love with everything natural at this point. And I'm like, oh, these mushrooms can do all this stuff for me. And I like hyper focused on the part where it said lion's mane. And then there's a check right next to nerve tonic. And I was like, whoa, let me try that out. And you know, I have to admit, I tried out his stuff and, and it didn't work so well for me. I tried a couple other brands and one of them eventually worked like it rocked my socks. And I felt like I was the guy in Limitless. And I was like, whoa, like mushrooms can make me feel this way, man. Like, let me, let me like take this more and, and understand it. And so I started researching uh it's been about a decade since i you know this first experience happened but i started researching and trying to understand why you know this bottle over here works but like maybe this bottle doesn't and 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 so like i started understanding the research and you know what you feed the mushrooms dictates what they produce and how active they are and it's also like strain specific right so there's a lot of stuff that goes into it but i've been studying this stuff forever and i've been making tincture for my friends and family for a long time but for me you know, being able to step into this space is huge because it's something that monumentally impacted my life. Like Mike Tyson would not be a thing if I had never tried lion's mane supplements. Like I just wouldn't have been so excited about mushrooms. I'd be like, yeah, cool. They get me trippy. They get me, you know, spacey or whatever. But when I finally found something that had a functional benefit for my life, that allowed me to feel better, that allowed my brain to work better, I, I immediately just fell in love and I became enamored with, with the lion's mane mushroom. And so that's like sort of like what got me to where I'm at now. And, you know, over the last four years, I've become like the lion's mane kit guy. That's what everybody knows me for. If they don't know me for Petri dishes, they know me for the lion's mane kits. But that was one reason that I was doing the kits was because I found out that I was so good at making these lion's mane substrates that I was like, well, I can just I can sell them, you know, because there's not a lot of people in the market doing that. And so then I was able to make my own medicine or my own medicinal extract, you know, also supply other people with their own food. And, and you know, a lot of people were using the, the kits as extract. And so it's a lot of work, though. Right. That's the thing. Making these kits is a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of customer service. Right. And so for me, it's the old work smarter, not harder. You know, I can I can produce uh, uh, quite a bit of uh, biomass to do extracts with and, and run extracts on that. 
and there's like no there's no in between there's no uh customer service i mean the the hardest part is really marketing it and getting the word out there and getting people to trust a natural product that's like for me that's the biggest hurdle to get over and as the reviews come in like i i glow with with positivity when i read the reviews there's been you know a ton of people jumping into this space recently and there's so many different perspectives right and of course we know the narrative of fruiting body versus mycelium and there's a lot of these big companies trying to push new products and i'm curious i've heard you make some comments about sourcing locally you know like if your lion's mane tincture if you can't feel it working then you're not taking the right tincture so i'm just curious some of the people that helped you on your journey to get to where you're at who are some of the people you can shout out in the mycology community who helped develop your perspectives and anything else you want to drop about, you know, for prospective lion's mane cultivators and people who are starting their own brands, what are some guiding principles or like thoughts to keep in mind as they're getting started? Because one of the things we hear over and over is how do I source quality ingredients for my brand? Like, for example, if I'm sourcing something from China in bulk or whatever, what do I look for? And I just love to hear some perspective on that for people who might want to start their own tincture or their own medicinal functional mushroom brands. The Welcome to Mushroom Hour has been a huge piece of my success and I have to shout them out. And Darren's the man. Darren really helped skyrocket me to the, the places that I want to be as far as the work that I'm doing. Uh, you know, many people might be aware of the work that I'm, I'm hoping to do with other countries and, and some of the stuff that I am doing, you know, actively. We, we had a project in Kenya that kind of worked out. We have the project in Uganda with Josephine and like that's a phenomenal endeavor. You know, that tapestry behind me is actually made from the girls in Uganda who have benefited from selling mushrooms. And um, as far as, you know, other accounts go, um, I definitely want to shout out Ryan Paul Gates because it was at the time that I learned of Ryan Paul Gates at Terrestrial Fungi that I realized that, you know, I saw this guy and I was like, yo, this guy is just focusing on breeding one mushroom. Well, two really, he's in the cordyceps and the race but he's not just doing everything, right? And so I dug deep in my heart and I realized that that's the time where I really need to focus on the lion's mane and stop doing everything. I was doing kits for every mushroom you can think of. And, you know, it's, it's cool doing that, doing all the cultures, doing everything sounds fun. But you don't you, you don't get anywhere if you're burnt out, right? And so being burnt out never got me anywhere. So my advice to any aspiring mycology shop would be to really dig deep, find what motivates you about the mushrooms, and, and involve yourself and become a master at whatever thing excites you the most. You know, everybody's got their mushroom, whether it's cordyceps or turkey tail or whatever. But there 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 are very few experts that focus on just those things. And if you can become that expert, in my experience, the the, the value of being the expert outweighs any you know, uh, amount of sales that you can get from being the do-it-all guy, right? Or girl. Um, so for me, that, you know, that's the one piece of advice I can give to people. And those are the two most influential folks in my early journey to become, you know, who I am today. And so, you know, really seriously, shout out to, to Darren at Welcome to Mushroom Hour. Shout out to Ryan Paul Gates, because those guys were, were huge for me. So uh, as far as the extract goes, and as far as sourcing the right ingredients and things like that, um, you know, it's if you are like some dude with money and you want to get into mushrooms, you go on to Namex. Everybody goes to Namex and, and their supplier in Canada. They source from China and they have bulk mushroom everything from powders to myceliated uh, uh, rice flour to whatever you need. But... For me personally, I just never got around the trust factor of knowing, trusting, I guess, what is in the powder is what is being sold to me. And like with the lion's mane extract, right? Certain compounds are only produced in the mycelium. Certain compounds are only produced in the fruiting bodies. And these compounds are not always produced, uh, you know, uh, in the same concentrations. And, and so it, really for me, it's, it's a matter of understanding the research and, and doing the research. You know, it takes a long time to start researching 
these things and understanding these scientific papers, right? I spent a lot of time on Google Scholar just like looking at words like, wow, you know, I felt like the Keenan and Kel meme where it's like, I know some of these words, bro. But, you know, as you digest things and you begin to understand them and you start to look things up, you can get a big picture overview of what's going on, right? You don't need to understand everything in these papers, but um, if you can look at something and say, okay, well, now that I've read that, I understand that this is true sometimes, then you can start being mindful of, of these things and you can start asking different questions. And so for me, in my opinion, an ideal lion's mane extract would be a combination of extract from mycelium that's been enriched and uh, from fruiting bodies. But it's really hard to get to that point, right? So, so there's not a lot of incentive for most companies to, to, to lift up this rock and look under it and go, oh, maybe we should be doing that because they're already making big bags of cash, right? And, and that's the thing about mushroom supplements is it's really easy to sell people some trash, some snake oil, something that doesn't really have uh, any functional benefit to it, but that is technically a mushroom product. And, and that's why there's so many companies out there that are doing just that. And that's what I found through the last 10 years of research is, is there's not a lot of incentive because it's not a regulated product. So there's no way to really like measure arenosine A and say, oh, there's 600 milligrams of arenosine A in this bottle. Here, let's put that on the thing. So people just use like beta glucans or polysaccharides or triterpenes. And those are okay if there's a trust factor involved with every step of the way. But like beta glucans can be faked. You can get beta glucans from rice or, or other greens. And so it's not really a good marker for, for what's in there. And that's why like people always ask us like, how many triterpenes are in there, bro? And I'm like, I don't know, because it's a worthless measurement in, unless you trust everybody throughout every step of the way. And so for me, I just say, try it and you're going to feel mine. I know you're going to feel mine. But uh, if you can't feel it, you're taking the wrong supplement, like I said. And, and so, you know, and without physically being there, supervising the grow, supervising the substrate preparation, I can't know that what I said that should be done is being executed, right? So for me, I'll never do that. I don't have the trust in the Chinese market. And that's just because there's a lot of shady stuff that happens. There's dry labs that'll fake anything you want for, for a couple bucks. You tell them what you want to see on the report and they'll give it to you. And so like, I don't know, like that's, that's, that's one of those like gray areas for me, for sure. You'll never see Chinese mushrooms in our operation. I don't have anything against China, but there's no trust. And since they're so far away, I'm not going there. I'm not going to babysit it. I'll just grow everything here. And we're in Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania has the benefit of having a place called Kennett Square, which is the mushroom capital of the U.S., right? And so we have so many producers all over the place, and we can lean on those producers um, for, for some things. Um, but at the end of the day, I'd rather produce my own stuff and know that what I'm putting into my extract is is being made to my standards, right? So I know that's a long-winded way to say, like, just have control over your grow, but, like, we outsource certain things, right? Like, we outsource our spawn because I don't have time and space and, and materials to make as much spawn as we need to make to keep the operation going. I do outsource my spawn. That's fine. But I know the company. I've been there. I can see what they're doing. I can see how they're making things. They're all certified organic, and the spawn doesn't really matter. As long as it's good cultures and, and, and things like that, it's it's fine as far as what I'm doing goes. But really, that's 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 my stance on the whole supplement China importing thing is don't do it. Now, if you got a bunch of money and you want to start a mushroom business, sure, go to Namex. Spend money, rip people off. That's fine. I don't want to be that company. And that's why we only specialize in lion's mane, too, because... I know a lot about the lion's mane side of things, but I don't know anything about the other mushrooms and I don't really care to know because this is the one that really pumps me up, right? So that's why we specialize in the uh, the lion's mane for Heresium Labs and I don't really ever see myself doing any other mushrooms. Like I'll do small batches of reishi for friends, I'll do small batches of turkey tail if they want it for friends, right? But really I don't have interest in, in doing anything else because I don't understand it. And unless it excites me like lion's mane, I'm not gonna bother to understand it. Like cordyceps, right? Everybody's on this cordyceps train. It doesn't do anything for me. So I 
can't, like I've never grown cordyceps and people are blown away by that. And I'm like, well, I've tried teas, I've tried extracts, I've tried fruit bodies and I don't feel anything from it. So I can't get excited about it enough to really do anything with it, right? For sure. Well, you're a super busy guy, man. I try to tune into every IG live and follow all your work. And I got to ask, are you ever going to outsource pouring agar plates? Because I bet you've poured more plates than anyone we've had on the podcast. How many agar plates have you poured today? And do you have any tips for people who are newer or maybe like trying to scale a little bit with their operation of how to maybe do you have any tips for best practices with pouring agar? Well, I have a whole write-up on, on my site. You know, the big thing for me was, uh, first, let me start off with, we've poured over 175,000 plates since we started, you know, quite a few plates. And the, the one thing that really uh, helped to, to increase my amount of output was I got a pouring machine. And I got this machine. It's like 30 years old. I got it on eBay. It was broken. There's no manual for it anywhere on the internet. And like, I bought it and it was broken, sold for parts on eBay. And so I just started tinkering with it. And eventually I figured it out, like what, what has to happen. And, and it, it was nice, but you know, be that as it may, my production was about 500 plates before the machine per day. Now I can do about a thousand plates. Really what's, what stepped me up outside of the, you know, the beginner stages of agar was when I did the, the technique, it's, it's on my website too, um, for my how to pour agar video. But basically you take your stack and you grab the plate on the bottom of the stack that you're pouring, you lift up the whole stack and pour, and then you can pour like 20 plates in five minutes, and, and it doesn't it doesn't take long at all. And and that really helped increase my output as far as the ability to pour before the agar cools, because that's like the one thing that you're always battling when the agar's cooling down and you have a whole mess of, of agar bottles to, to pour from. That was like really the biggest thing. And uh, the other, I guess, key point in, in, in helping me get there was that like I've tried to pour from honey jars, from mason jars, from whiskey bottles, from like anything glass that I could pour out of. And the one thing that helps the most is having a drip edge on the bottle. And so they make those media bottles. Uh, I have a link to that on the tools I use and recommend page on my website. But they're 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 Pyrex media bottles with uh, 500 liter, uh, 500 milliliter, one liter, and two liter configuration. And at the top of the bottle on the threads is a, a flat piece that when you pour, it doesn't let the agar spill down the vessel you're pouring from. It, actually pours it out nice and clean so that was like the biggest thing that i ever learned and i learned that from a mycologist that i became friends with through working at the biggest button mushroom farm in pennsylvania and in the u.s um i worked there this guy came in the door one day and i was like oh i want to be friends with him he looks cool and uh it turns out he was he, he's their mycologist and and his name was mark spear and he started spawn labs for multi-million dollar companies he started three of the biggest spawn labs that are in the country and so, like, I immediately just wanted to click with that guy. And now we're friends, which is awesome. So, shouts to Mark if you're ever going to check this out. Uh, I got you, man. But seriously, having him uh, and the experience of, of working together in his lab with him and watching him pour was, like, that was the time that I started doing plates. And originally, we used to just ship our plates in Ziploc bags. Uh, everybody wants to parafilm their plates, and that's fine. But when I realized I could just put 20 plates in a Ziploc bag and ship it, that's what started the Agar Empire. Um, and he told me that that's what he does all the time. He put a little towel on the bottom of the bag to collect any condensate and ship them out. Now we're shrink wrapping plates, um, thanks to Tip of the Cap over over at uh, Tim over at Tip of the Cap Mushrooms. Him and I have been, you know, good. Uh, I, I don't want to say we're best buds, but we're we're friends enough to be, you know, friends considering we're direct competition, which is cool. And that's the one thing I love about the mushroom space is that, you know, most of my direct competition is actually, you know, friends and people that I want to see succeed just as much as I do. Uh, because uh, if they're, 
is more people getting excited about mushroom stuff in general, then there's more of a market for everybody. So like, I don't see anybody as direct competition or like, I don't want to hold anybody back. I just want to help see other people succeed because then the market space gets bigger then everybody's growing mushrooms. And that's really what I'm motivated by is getting more people excited about and growing mushrooms and, and doing it in an easy way. Cause it's something scary, right? Especially when you're first getting started. Word. And you know, Speaking of more people getting excited about and growing mushrooms, the impact that you and Darren have had on Josephine's life and on the women micropreneurs in Uganda is so beautiful and so humbling. And it's something I've been very excited to support a little bit. I love Josephine and everything she's doing. And I want to talk about that a little bit. How, how did you first get connected to Josephine and what are you all currently working on? I know, I know that there was an in initiative to get a primary school opened and they were raising some money to open a school there. So what's the status quo of your project and your work with Josephine and with Darren out there in Uganda? So Darren hooked me up with her after Darren. I, was, I think I was Darren's like second or maybe I, I may have been his first podcast that he actually recorded. I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly. That was like two years ago. But either way, we did the podcast. I was talking to him about the stuff I was doing in Kenya with Raymond. And he immediately, like when we were done with the, the recording, he brought up Josephine. And he was like, hey, I'm, I'm doing this interview with this woman, Josephine. She's trying to grow mushrooms in Uganda. I think you guys would be a perfect fit for each other because you want to help. She needs help. And you've got the knowledge and expertise. And she desperately needs it. So he put me on with her, like right after the first podcast. And I think I've been working with Josephine now for a year and a half. And we try to meet every month. And every month she gives me a status update and a plan. And we try to plan out some fundraising and stuff like that. But um, she went from not being able to grow a single mushroom. She got ripped off by a guy growing button mushrooms who was like, you need to grow buttons. And like anybody who knows anything about growing mushrooms is like, oh, that's the worst thing you can do as far as trying to get started, especially in a third world country, right? And so uh, she, she failed. She tried that for about a year, year and a half or so. And she, she didn't give up mushrooms, but she was definitely feeling a little discouraged. And then I got a hold of her and was able to help her understand and, and wrap her head around different growing techniques. And she's got like this bucket she turns on its side and she has armholes in it and it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. But now she's like doing agar work and like she started just doing cardboard spawn. Everybody who's done low tech stuff knows about cardboard spawn, but now she's actually doing agar work in Uganda. She's working on building uh, the first ever mushroom growing training center in Uganda and most likely in Africa. You know, the colleges have some specialty mushroom growing operations in certain countries in Africa, but I think this will be the first African um, mushroom growing training center. And so, so far she's trained, I think it's 250, 275 women how to grow mushrooms and, and they're successfully growing mushrooms. And the cool thing about this is they're growing oysters and oysters can grow on some 250 different substrates. You know, most of it's waste that is from agriculture. And so they're basically taking trash and growing mushrooms on it and helping to elevate themselves out of poverty. And like, that's what's so exciting and, and so, it just feels good to be part of uh, with, the, with the project in Uganda, because especially in COVID time, there were people who were locked down and couldn't do anything. And they've got like 14 year old girls growing mushrooms under their bed who then can save a few dollars and then buy a shed to grow mushrooms outside. And then within a matter of months, they're making a, a savings for the first time in their life. And they're, they're able to feed themselves, their family, their local communities, and then save money and, and grow their business. And like, I love that. It's such a feel good for, for me and for anybody who contributes any effort to this project. And it's just been so cool to see how she's how she's come from you know not being able to grow a single mushroom without training women and and she's got an ambitious goal of of course 
bringing together this training center uh, where there's going to be like a clean room, a growing center, an education space. It's going to be a really nice facility, but she's got that goal. And then she, once that is completed, she hopes to be able to export 500 tons of oyster mushrooms from Uganda by 2023. And like, that's a huge goal. But the cool thing is she's already almost halfway there as far as the production goes. And as far as her commitments go, she wants to sign up 500 farmers on contract to say, hey, we'll buy the mushrooms from you and we'll export them. And like, that's, that's, that's just such an amazing uh, project to be part of because nobody would ever think to do this in Uganda because for most people, there's not money involved and in, that they can make off of it. So that, that there's no interest. And second off, we're in Africa where mushrooms aren't growing as prominently as somewhere, you know, like the, the, the Northeast of the US or, you know, the Southwest um, where we have the moisture, you know, they're growing in these papyrus huts that they make together with papyrus and some sticks. And, and then they put sand in the base and then they keep the sand wet and boom, there's their fruiting chamber. And like that, is so innovative but uh i would like to give a shout out to peter oi he's a dutchman uh who specialized in uh mushroom techniques mushroom growing techniques for developing countries so he's got these two books um well, actually no i lied he's got five versions of the same book and uh he's got how to grow mushrooms in almost every developing country and different techniques to use and what mushrooms to grow and why to grow them and business practices and stuff and when i picked up his book it really helped me get started down the path that I am as far as the what I call micro-philanthropical work. You know, that's what started me working with my buddy Raymond in Kenya and uh, with Josephine. And hopefully we've got somebody in Nepal who may want some, some help with uh, growing and getting a mushroom growing operation started out there. So, um, you know, it's just the beginning for that. And I hope that as I get more into the tincture space and I can step out of the the micro supplies space that I have more time to focus on those kind of things um, because that's really where my heart is, is is helping people with mushrooms because I've been helped with mushrooms you know I just want to get back I love that I'm I have so much confidence and people like you and other micropreneurs listening wanting to help spread that mycelium to under resourced places and I've been following different stories developing like Trad Cotter went down to Haiti after they had their earthquake and he taught people how to grow oyster mushrooms in a disaster zone and I've read about people in refugee camps in Syria who were trained how to grow oyster mushrooms by a Turkish NGO and then all of a sudden they can't afford meat because of the civil war and the supply chain chaos in Syria, but they're able to grow their own oyster mushrooms now. And I just see that being replicable in so many different parts of the world. I've read about people in Bangladesh and just these really under-resourced places. So that that idea of mycophilanthropy resonates so strongly with me. And I'm actually hosting a group of mycopreneurs down here in Mexico where I live right now. A few of the fellows who have been on the podcast flew out and it's kind of a brain trust incubator. It's an incubator. And tomorrow we're going to an orphanage in Tuxla, which is the capital of Chiapas. My friend is a director there and they've got an empty garden space. I went and visited recently and I said, why is the garden completely empty? You've got planter beds. And he, he says, well, we have no resources. We have no one to help us and we have no resources. So I rallied some friends who have a, a cultivation shop in town here. And as soon as I told them about this orphanage just an hour away that has 98 kids with an empty garden, they their eyes lit up and they go, oh, let's go out there. Let's go see how we can put some together. So, you know, this is hopefully just getting the ball rolling on a collaboration. But long story short, I think mycophilanthropy is so important and it really can have a tangible impact as demonstrated with Josephine. 
I saw that you launched a project recently called Myco Missionaries, I believe. I'd love to hear what are some of the ideas or designs you have for Myco Missionaries and what are some of the projects you want to get rolling? If there's anything I can do to help with the orphanage or any other projects that come to mind, let me know because I'd be happy to help uh, contribute whatever I can. Um, you know, I've got experience with button mushrooms. I've got experience with all the exotic gourmets. And uh, I, I love low tech. That's what really got me first excited about growing mushrooms. Um, so I'm happy to help in whatever capacity and, and any project, anybody who's listening to this podcast who has an idea or knows somebody who'd be a perfect fit for some help to get a mushroom operation going that can help, you know, communities or, or in this case, like an orphanage or anybody, uh, I, I'm all about it. And, and Michael Missionaries admittedly has fallen on the back burner as I'm trying to get this tincture uh, extract company off the, the ground and I'm really trying to find time to be able to work on it because doing uh, a thousand petri dishes a day, sometimes three, four days a week, doing the kits, doing everything else that I do has been like, <sighs> we recently stopped doing manure sales because we were just like, we were down an employee and then all of a sudden everybody wanted like thousands of pounds of manure and I'm just like, dude, I can't keep up. Like I, I'm getting burnt out and I barely have time for myself and so, you know, I, like I said, admittedly, I've, I've fallen behind on that, but it's something that I'd like to see uh, once the extract gets more off the ground and once I can uh, have a little bit more security in the finances on that side. Um, that's really something that I hope to, to put together. You know, I, I have a website sort of mostly done, um, but I'd, I'd really like to see that take off more. So, uh, but we need another project. Um, this thing in Nepal has been kind of stagnating for a little bit and, and it's been back and forth. Josephine's been awesome because she's the most accountable person that I've ever met. She's the most motivated person that I've ever met as far as trying to help other people. She's a literal saint. And I'm sure you, you know the same thing, you know, from seeing the what you've seen from her. You should get her on this show, to be honest, and, and help, you know, spread her, her message. I really think that'd be cool and I think that'd be an inspirational story for, for a lot of people. For sure. She was on the podcast. She was probably our 10th episode and I just loved everything about her. Yeah, she was on the podcast and I'm really trying to platform and spotlight more micropreneurs in remote countries because I think sometimes there's this like revolving door and a lot of mushroom media, you know, there's only a handful of platforms, but you see a lot of the same speakers you see, you know, Paul Stamets given another keynote and I'm super interested in all of these low tech mushroom farmers who are doing amazing work with their bootstrapping. You know, I admire people who bootstrap, not necessarily the the entrepreneur who has a hundred thousand dollars to put into a project. Like I, I, I'm so stoked about people who do the most with what they have. And no one does that better than a lot of these people coming from marginalized, under-resourced populations. And you see that a lot in Mexico too. You just see amazing innovation and ingenuity because folks don't have another option. You know, they can't afford to just like pay someone to fix the problem. They got to figure out how to do it. So I think that's super inspiring. And another question I'd love to ask is what is an average day like in a micropreneur's life? I mean, let's paint a realistic picture here. I think a lot of people have this romanticized notion of like, oh, it's a mushroom business or whatever. It must be so chill and groovy. But like, let's paint a realistic picture. What is a Tuesday like for Mike Tyson, the mushroom farmer? It's about like this. Ah! Like seriously, it's, it's like, it's crazy. And it's always not what's going on, but what's going wrong and how fast can we get caught up before you know the next thing has to happen and so it's always just a mess there's always a thousand things that have to happen and because we're not our margins on products are so low that like we have to do a lot of different things to stay afloat and to keep the family fed and, and things like that so you know that's why we do the volume that we do because we don't make a lot per sale but with the the amount of sales that we have 
we, we do all right, and, and everybody assumes that, like, we're rich. Like, that's the first thing. When I, when I tell – even people not in the mushrooms, they're like, oh, you do all these petri dishes? You must be rich. And I'm like, bro, I'm making, like, 25 cents uh, a dish that goes out or something like that. So, like, awesome. I've got, like, an average U.S. salary, right? But, like – no, it's not glamorous and it's not fun. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of 18-hour days. Um, sometimes, you know, up until the last, I'd say, three or four months, I, I was doing at least six days a week, if not seven days a week, all the time, working in the lab till like, two in the morning, three in the morning, doing cultures, doing kits, doing substrate transfer uh, or spawn transfers, making spawn, expanding spawn, sterilizing grains, um, whatever. And so, you know, it's, it's really not the glamorous life that, that people think it is. But the one thing about mushroom people is that any successful mushroom business I've ever seen, they're really passionate about what they do. They're really dedicated to what they're doing. And they're really ingenuitive. Like that's the ingenuity is, I think, the key to a successful mushroom business. Because just like, you know, you said the people in Mexico have to think on their feet because they don't have the resources to just throw money at everything. Like you've always got to be thinking on your feet as a mushroom business owner because there's always something different going on, something going wrong. Um, and so for, for us, it's at least three to four days a week of pouring agar. And when we pour, we're pouring a thousand plates. And then we've got spawn production and we've got um, substrate production and we've got manure production that we just got rid of. But then we've also got the extract production that we're doing once a week. And it's like there's never a day where we're just sitting still like with our thumbs up our butts going, oh, I wish, wish I had something to do because there's always 10 things that we didn't get done that we need to get done the next day because you're only a human being. And, you know, a lot of the mushroom businesses that I know, it's it's a husband, it's a wife, and some employees. And we've got the luxury of having some employees, but employees right now in COVID are, are just like the worst thing to deal with. So you end up doing a lot more yourself um, because of that because nobody wants to work. And we pay pretty well um, when, we, when we pay our employees. And uh, we like to think so anyway, you know, but like even still, you know, the, the money doesn't matter because people don't want to work. So it's hard to find good help and dedicated help that's not going to let you down. And then when you do find help, they might do a half-assed job and make you have to do twice as much work. And so for, for us, that's that's the other issue. You know, we tried to outsource some things. We tried to outsource kits and grains and stuff like that. And it just never worked, you know, when we outsource because there's never that quality standard. So you end up having to do a lot yourself. And like I said, we do outsource some things. We outsource spawn which is like a really nice thing because that's one less thing we can mess up, right? Like you don't know pain and suffering until you have a deadline and then you've made a bad batch of spawn. Like that's the worst thing ever. And that's one of the things that I learned from Peter Roy was, you know, outsource the areas of production that you're not equipped with or skilled enough with or, or don't have enough resources internally to, to, to handle it on your, on your own. You know, outsource it. And when we started outsourcing our spawn, it was like, oh, the heavens opened up for us. And, like, we could breathe a little bit because it was like there was a lot less risk and responsibility on our end. And, you know, we just throw a couple bucks at something and then, boom, spawn appears. And it's like, oh, hey, I didn't have to wait or do anything, like, really serious. I didn't have to put on the Timex suits today and sweat, you know. Um, so that that was nice. And that was one of the big learning points that we, that we had, too, is, you know, you can do everything from spore to fruit and burn yourself out. Or you can find where you fit in and and carve out your real estate and, and make it yours. Instead of being a slave to your work, you can you can actually breathe a little bit and you can, you know, make it like a normal seeming job. But like I said, we're not doing fruits at market. We used to do fruits at market, you know, that was four and a half years ago, five years ago we were at market. And I was pulling, you know, five hundred to seven hundred and fifty bucks a week, which was good. We were only doing two days a week, which was not bad. Um, we had one day where we were managing a market, we had another farmer selling some stuff for us half a day. But it was at the point where I realized that I could give one of my substrates to just any average person who walked up and sell it to him as a mushroom growing kit that I was like, oh, we should be doing these online. But then, like I said earlier, that's a whole new level of customer service. And when you really start getting, you know, 100, 200 kits out per month, 
Like that's like a lot of work as far as like taking care of that. So we ended up bringing customer service on, which was awesome. And he's been with us for in two days, it'll be a year. So that was like my other biggest like, ha ah, was bringing somebody on just to handle customer service. Cause I've told some customers and I'm not proud of it, but I've told some customers some bad things because they get under your skin sometimes. And, and you're like, you know, I'm just trying to help you and you're attacking me. Ah, and then you just don't have that filter where you're supposed to stop. So like, that's why we brought on customer service. Cause it was like, all right, I've done that two or three times too many to be a successful brand. Right? So I've got to tone myself down and let somebody else get paid to get yelled at. And, and then I don't have to worry about it because we take it personally, right? Like when you put your soul into something, when you're working 18 hour days to make sure something works and then something goes wrong, which can be fixed, but then somebody's yelling at you about it. You're like, dude, like I'm just trying to help chill out. And then they like tell you to go kill yourself or something. And you're like, Oh my God, like no you. And then like they go on Reddit and they write like a big rant. And then it's just like, it's a huge mess. So like, that's the one thing if you're a micropreneur, Hire customer service early on when it starts getting to that point because you don't want to make those uh, – it's, it's really hard to make up for those situations. But luckily, like, I had a big enough presence on Reddit to where it didn't matter too much because people got my back because they understood what was going on and, and you know, they, they thought about things a little bit. But, like, uh, for any other business, I think it would have been really, really hard to deal with uh, for sure, you know. But, like, that was, like, one of those, whoa, i got to pump the brakes here and, and change something because, like – no, it's too much. And my wife loved it too. So like, that's the other thing you got to keep the wife happy. And, and like, so giving her some more of my time, which I didn't really, because I found more places to like put my extra time into, uh, which is, I'm still working on. I'm still, we're getting better with that. I'm taking days off now, which is good. But yeah, that was like the one thing I was always trying to find her time. Cause she's always like, you're on your phone all the time. What are you doing? And like, while I was growing the brand, it was a big issue. Now she doesn't care. She knows what I'm doing. She knows what's going on. She knows it makes us money and, and you know, it pays to be involved and, and things like that. But like, yeah, that was like the hardest thing for me to ba balance was, was the, the personal relationships. Like I've got one friend right now, not two friends, two good friends, but I lost like all my other friends building this business, which is crazy because like nobody understood that like it's work time. It's work time. Like it's always work time. I'm never just like chilling waiting for something to happen, you know, it's, and that's like something I'm getting better with now is, is personal time. Like I did salsa dancing with the wife the other day. We went rock climbing today as a family and, you know, so I'm getting better at balancing that now that I don't have to like stress about the money. But like, that was the hardest thing for me as a micropreneur was, you know, sacrificing my personal time to, to grind and to make the money. But one day I woke up and I was just like, what, like, why am I grinding so hard and not enjoying life? You know, and so then I started to think about things a lot differently and uh, restructuring things. And that's kind of where the tincture came from, too, was, you know, work smarter, not harder. And so for me, it was just like a natural step to get there. And, and now I'm happy, you know, and, and so I'm happy and I wouldn't say I'm successful. I'm semi successful. You know, I've got what I want out of life and I got what I want out of mushrooms and I'm still working on other things. But um, really it was just about investing back into me that, that made me the happiest. And that's something that I think a lot of entrepreneurs forget is that there is the self that needs to, to be preserved too, and not just work, 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 work. Like, and so, you know, I hope somebody listening takes, takes heed to that advice and kind of digs a little deep internally and, and goes, wow, man, maybe I need to chill out a little bit and, and do something fun for me. Cause for like, it was like six years. I didn't know 
what me was. <laughs> yeah, being an entrepreneur, people think, oh, the entrepreneurial lifestyle, but like it is so demanding. And I say this after just being out and about hustling all day and coming back and being like, I got to get Mike Tyson. We got to get this recorded. And thank you. You know, you're out on a Friday night after your work day and you're doing this thing. So it, it's not all four hour work weeks. That's for sure. Now, one question I always like to slip in there. You look like maybe you're a music guy and most people listen to music in the lab. And I'm sure there's a lot of people curious. What do you like to listen to when you're grinding in the lab? Uh, is there any particular genre or artist or what gets Mike Tyson going when you're working with mushrooms? What kind of music are we talking? about so there's there's a few there's three different approaches here it depends on my mood uh, i listen to some really heady banjo music i love the banjo i don't know so like i fell in love with pete seeger maybe eight years ago he's like a guy in the early uh 50s and 60s who played a lot of music to help support the workers unions he did a lot of folk music but his big what he's known for is like helping support the workers unions and the labor labor strikes when they were like fighting for fair wages for for men and women and unions and things like that and like i just love the folk music aspect and i don't know if a banjo most people don't think a banjo is energetic but like i grew up listening to like techno and, and metal and stuff like that and and then like for me to like be in the banjo was really weird but like i don't know there's a lot of energy in some banjo music so i'll listen to some banjo music some pete seeger um, but I also listen to like a lot of love EDM and like my daughter loves EDM right now too. So she's on this big house music kick. So listen to a lot of Tiesto and stuff like that. Um, which, which I'm really stoked about because like, I don't know, like having your four year old be really into techno is kind of cool. Like, but it's always just like, <laughs> and then uh, I listen to like a lot of like ridiculously aggressive rap music, like, and like, it's bad. And so like. I gotta listen to that stuff by myself, you know, because I don't want to listen to it with my daughter, because you know it's rap music and, and stuff like that. But I don't, I just love just getting like hype, like yeah. So I'll take a bunch of extract and then I'll listen to like, uh, like uh, I like XXX Tentacion. I don't know, yeah, you know him, yeah. So like I don't know, he's screaming. There's like the ridiculous, like almost bad sounding bass, right? Like, and it's just like yeah, like that gets me, that gets me grooving. And so you know, that's the kind of stuff that gets me, gets me hype in the lab. And so if you ever come over to the lab. It's gonna be one of those three things. It really just depends on my mood. Like if I'm just like trying to numb out the the monotony of work, it's it's either the EDM or the rap. And if I'm just like really in a good mood, it's like the banjo music and the PC and stuff. So uh, you know that's where I, that's where I'm at. And people are always surprised when like I'll post a story with some rap music in it, and I'll get a bunch of comments like, "Oh, you listen to rap?" And I'm like, I "Listen to whatever, man. Like I don't know if you're gonna judge me for the music I listen to, whatever. Like that's cool. But like I'm just doing me, you know." For sure, man. I've been listening to I've been listening to Kodak Black as a kind of awesome rapper I really like. And dude, I like the hustle, man. It's the vibe. You know, you catch a vibe and you just feel super confident and ready to go. And like, that's awesome. I love I love that. And I'm a I'm a music lover. You know, I have a vinyl collection and I'm always looking for new artists and kind of like I used to teach high school, so I'd learn out, you know, I'd learn about the SoundCloud rappers and like what all the kids were. And if you want to feel old, teach high school. Like I, you know, I was 27, 28 at the time and they made me feel like I was like 65 years old like you haven't heard of this guy nope haven't heard but it was always cool to try to you know first thing in the morning I just have music blaring and like these kids coming in half awake and they catch the vibe and I played some XXX Tentacion I got in trouble quite a bit with the music we had on in the room but it was all good 
But I, I'd be curious, uh, you know, I want to respect your time. And I think we covered a lot of really cool bases. But something I really want to hear about for a guy who grows so much lion's mane, what are some of your favorite dishes to make? I'm sure you're not putting all of it in the tinctures. I'm sure that you're cooking with it. So what are some Mike Tyson recipe specials that we might want to try out next time I grab some lion's mane at the farmer's market? Lion's mane buffalo chicken is like chicken, right? Lion's mane, you just treat it like uh, like pulled chicken, but you make buffalo chicken dip out of the lion's mane. It's really good. Um, uh, Philly Fungi, um, he, he's got a food page it's called Philly Food Porn. And uh, he's got an awesome recipe. I think I have it on my website. If I don't, I'll get it up there because it's like the best thing I've ever had with lion's mane as far as food goes. Um, and, and it's just like a chicken cheese dip, like a buffalo chicken cheese dip, but it's like using lion's mane instead. It's really good. But uh, that's one of my favorite things. And then really just like lion's mane straight up. I don't know if you guys have seen the, the video where uh, – what's his name? I don't know the guy's name. Excuse me, but I think he's from Wicked Wicked Healthy. Um, he pressed the lion's mane in a, like a panini press and got it real crispy, and then threw it on the grill. Called it a lion's mane steak. Like that is something I haven't tried yet, but like looks like the best lion's mane dish that I could think of. And I'm still getting around to trying it, but um, seriously, if you try the buffalo chicken lion's mane dip, um, you'll, you'll blow your mind. And the one trick to lion's mane that most people don't know is you've got to take it, break the pieces apart, put it on a cookie sheet. Throw it in the oven, dry it out a little bit before you cook it. It'll remove some of the sponginess, and a lot of people are off put by that when they try lion's mane for the first time because it is like spongy if you don't treat it right. And so if you do that, it'll get a much better texture, and you'll get uh, it'll help push out some of the water so it can absorb a lot more of the flavor that you're trying to integrate in whatever dish you're cooking. And it'll just it'll really elevate your lion's mane game to the next level. So if you've tried lion's mane, you're listening to this, you try lion's mane, you haven't enjoyed it because maybe it was a little chewy or spongy. Try cooking it again, but try cooking it again, like I said, first on a baking sheet, on a cookie sheet, in the oven, 350 degrees for like five or 10 minutes, just to get some of that moisture out, and then cook with it. You know, I think that'll really change the way that uh, most people think about lion's mane. Sure, and I'd, I've got to ask about your dosing regimen, because when I had the Herisium Labs lion's mane tincture, I was just, you know, popping a dropper in the morning and one at night, but you sound like you've got all the lion's mane you could possibly want. Uh, what what amounts of lion's mane are we taking on a daily basis? What's your supplement regimen look like? We take it as needed, my man. So I've always said, you know, uh, the, the way to take lion's mane is, is to listen to yourself and what you need for the day. You know, if you're going to a job interview, take a lot. Like I used to take these capsules and, and on average, I would take two to three capsules twice a day. Uh, every day and so like if I was going to a job interview I take six capsules in the in, before the job interview and I just show up and they're like ah, I'm the best and they'd be like yeah you are you're hired and I just get everybody so hyped but now with the tincture um, it, it really varies you know on an average day uh, if I know I need to think a lot like today I took three three mils before we hopped on this podcast um, I'll take three mils I really like the three mil dose for me it really just knocks me in the brain, gets me going, you know, really hard. But I'm also a caffeine junkie. And so for me, like, I need that stimulant. You know, I need that super stimulant. So for me, the three meals is great, but I don't do three meals twice a day. Uh, every day, I do three meals twice a day as needed. So, like, I'll take it in the morning. I'll take it at night on days that I know that I need it. And then I find that it has a – when you take a lot of it, it, it lingers for a day or two. And, you know, sometimes I'll go a week without taking it. Everybody assumes I'm taking it all the time, and I'm just, like, drinking this stuff. And, like, no – but if I have like six days of the week that I need to do something, you can guarantee every day of those six days I'm going to be doing it. Now, the wife, on the other hand, the wife takes a mill 
twice a day, every day, and then if she's doing yoga, she does yoga five days a week. If she's doing yoga, she'll take another mill right before her yoga, and she gets that, like, super boost. It's like, I know, explode, right? Like, if you're, if you're into working out, it's like one of those pre-workout supplements, and so, like, she loves it. I have a bunch of friends who are fine with half a mill. Um, I have some friends who are taking it for, like, nerve damage that take three mils a day, um, and they space it out, one mill in the morning, one at night, and one in the afternoon. Um, so it really is up to the person on, on what they're trying to get out of it. But for me, when I take it, I want to know that my brain is going to be working at 110%, and that's why I, I, I overdo it. But, you know, I've taken, I've drinking a whole bottle before just to, to stress test it. And so, like, I was braced up against the wall, like, whoa, I'm really present right now, bro. <laughs> but, like, and, and so, like, I like in large doses of lion's mane to, like, a small microdose of LSD. Um, you know, that was my choice psychedelic before I tried mushrooms. And um, it's really, like, comparable. If you take a lot of lion's mane extract... You get the mental acuity, you get these like awesome thought patterns and everything, but you start to notice your vision's a little sharper, colors a little brighter, and you're like, whoa, man, like, that's kind of trippy. <laughs> and it's cool. So, like, I don't know, there's there's a lot more to Lion's Mane that we don't understand and that we haven't looked into yet. But now that the, it's like the Lion's Mane Golden Age, it's the Mushroom Golden Age, but most medicinal mushrooms, everybody's either excited about Reishi or Lion's Mane. And, and so since Lion's Mane's getting such a big spotlight, I think we're going to learn a lot more about this mushroom, what it can do for us, and how to make it better. You know, I'd like to see the best lion's mane subs, uh, um, extract on the market, but I'd like to be able to point to some data and say, like, yeah, this is why this is the best. And to, to date, like I said earlier, you know, there's there's 24 different arenosines, uh, which are like sub-molecules of furicinones, um, and, and they're, they're one of the active ingredients in lion's mane extracts. Uh, that makes it very interesting, but nobody really knows which one of these arenosines is, is, is interesting and why it's doing anything because nobody's really isolated yet or is able to test in a meaningful way. You know, you can do like an HPLC test and be like, oh, there's arenosine A in here, but you can't really measure it, right? Um, and uh, it's, it's not something that's being uh, studied in depth yet, right? But when when it does, it'll open up the doors and the floodgates, and we'll start seeing all these different like arenosine isolates, just like you know with THC and CBD and CBG. Uh, you know, we'll start seeing these other things come from uh, the mushrooms that are going to be concentrated and used in in different ways. And I can't wait to be part of that. You know, that's really what I'm trying to to, to ride out as far as you know waves go. Uh, I want to be on that wave. I want to be on the Harusian wave. All day, man. You'll be catching me out there with my surfboard. So I'm working on some things. I can't talk about them yet because we're under contract. But, um, you know, I'm working on some things with some companies that are doing some really cool stuff. And um, uh, I'm just happy to be part of it, you know, because I'm just a self-taught dude with a lot of Google and a lot of passion behind what I'm doing and what I'm researching. So for me to be part of, like, anything, like, major like that is super cool. But to be part of something that's helped me so much in that way is, like, even cooler. So, you know. Um, and, and if anybody wants to, to try out the, the Resium Labs, get at me. We'll get you a coupon code and, and, and we'll, we'll hook them up. So um, I'll help you out with that. And then, you know, I can, whatever you want, man. Anytime you want a bottle, let me know. I'm happy to help. Because, like, that, that, that commercial, or not, not the commercial, but that little video you did was, like, the coolest thing. Because it's just like, I think I'll do the laundry. And I'm just like, yeah, that's, this man gets it. That's what's up, man. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I was in Mexico City and had a little, had a bottle, and I just said, 
let's go, man. I'm like, you know, I hop out of bed, take this tincture, want to do something creative and fun. And that's what it's all about for me is like making mushrooms creative, making, you know, having fun with it and sharing that gospel with people because they have changed my life and they've enabled me to come, come into myself to be more confident. You know, I've built some great friendships and there's so much to learn. That's what's amazing about it is like, it's this completely open book where it feels like the rest of the world, like science has everything figured out and like everything is so reductionist. And then mushrooms, Mushrooms are this huge kind of blind spot or this blank slate where we're just learning new stuff every day about it. And like I'm living out here in southern Mexico and there's 20,000 different types of fungi and only 2% of them have been described. So you go out on forays with friends who there's only a handful of local mycologists too. There's like nobody doing this ID and taxonomy work down here. Then there's the whole ancestral culture and the trying to preserve that ancestral knowledge. And every day, new information is coming out and new ground is being broken. And that's really exciting. And since you mentioned it on, on the previous response you had, we love to dive into origin stories and especially first psychedelic experiences. And I've shared my first psychedelic mushroom experience a few times on the pod. And I always trickle out stories of meaningful psychedelic experiences I've had over the last 17 years, 15 to 17 years since first jumping into that world. But I'm curious if you want to share, like when's the first time psychedelic mushrooms came into your life and was it immediately impactful? Was it something that you said, whoa, this is this whole other microverse out there? Or did that come later? You know, some folks, they try it and they're like, oh, that was interesting. And then a few years later, they come back to it. But what was your first psychedelic mushroom experience like? So that's how it was, man. Like I tried everything as a kid. You know, I, I was into acid. I was into smoking weed and, and I've done some mushrooms before. But it was really when I came back from Iraq and I was, uh, honestly, I was in a really bad place. Like my buddy was faking a back injury. I was getting free Oxycontin. So like I was taking that and I was doing all this stuff. And I, one day, like this guy was like, hey, like the guy I was getting my stuff from, he's like, hey, I got these mushrooms. And I was like, you know, whatever, let me try it. I don't care. Cause I was really feeling suicidal. I was really feeling depressed. I was just like, and it wasn't like cause of the army experience, but it was because of like the eye-opening experience of being there firsthand and seeing all of the stuff that, happens in real life and then seeing the news like tell me the opposite and like making people scared of everything like that really messed me up it wasn't the actual iraq experience sure being blown up and shot at and stuff kind of messed with my head but it was being lied to by the world that really messed me up the most you know when i came back and like nobody else was mad about it and i'm like what the hell you know and and like so it really it really rubbed me the wrong way but anyway i tried these mushrooms and like as a kid i was really into death metal and like grindcore and like i hated the world i hated people i hated everything I hated being alive. It was like not fun to me. And then after I tried this, it must have been seven grams. I never weighed it because I wasn't actually into like harm reduction or anything at the time. You know, I didn't really care about what I was putting into my body. I just ate this big bag of mushrooms and I came back like feeling like, you know, you got out of the shower. Like, you know, you take some acid, you, you're done, you're, you get that afterglow. Like I had that afterglow, but it was like with a love for humanity and myself that I never ever felt in my whole life before. And like, I was really enamored by that. Like I, I, I didn't, know that I could feel love and compassion for like everything and I was like sitting there like saving bugs and stuff like like a Buddhist almost you know and so like from that experience I became this sort of like Native American Buddhist hybrid where like I merged some ideals from both cultures and and that's like who I am now and you know it, mushrooms were amazing but DMT like I was addicted, I guess I wasn't addicted, but I was really into doing like acid, like acid. I was doing, I was tripping on acid all the time. Like I was eating like a 10 strip a weekend, like just having a fun time. And like, after I tried DMT, 
um, DMT, like, I don't, not to sound like Joe Rogan, but like a couple good doses of DMT. And I was just like, okay, I don't, I don't have that itch anymore. I'm still asking questions that I, that, from the experience that I had maybe 10 years ago. And, 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 you know, so everybody always assumes that I'm like eating boomers left and right. And I'm growing all these mushrooms and like, sure. Even after I got rid of that itch, I grew a little bit, but like after my daughter was born, I stopped growing everything. Um, just because I didn't want to deal with the legalities. My brand was growing and things like that. Um, but really it was the DMT that was like the most impactful, you know, the acid opened up the door to psychedelics to me, then the mushrooms opened up myself to the world and the world to me. And then the DMT like solved the puzzle for me. And, you know, I still, every once in a while I wake up and I'm like, it's time, you know, let's do this. And, and, you know, I never get around to doing it because I'm always doing so many things. And that's one thing, like if people ask me like, what would you like to do? Like if you just had no money responsibilities, nothing to worry about, like what would you be doing? I'm like, I'd be making artisanal DMT, like the perfect DMT, and making video games and music. That's what I'd be doing. Like, if I had nothing else to worry about, that's what I'd be doing. Because it was really fun to me. Like, so, like, with the mushrooms, after I came back from that experience, like, I, I, I came back, but I also have trust issues. Like I mentioned earlier, I don't trust anybody for anything. And so, like, trusting the Chinese is hard, but, like, trusting a ra random drug dealer is really hard. So that's what really lit the fire for me to learn how to grow mushrooms. It was like, well, now i got to learn how to grow these myself. I love this. This was great. And then it was eat, sleep, breathe, dream mushrooms for like six months before I even did my first grow of my PF tech and the cakes and tubs. And like I had a tub that was within a tub. It was like tubception. And like I had some computer fans hooked up on timers and lights inside of the tub so I could hide it in plain sight and nobody would ever know. And it was like this crazy thing. And so for me, I grew up my first, uh, it was Penis Envy and Koi Samu, uh, the, the, the pancake, uh, Koi Samu uh, Super Strain. Um, I don't know how to say, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, everything I ever knew, like the reason I say agar wrong is because I started reading. I didn't like go to school and like get taught. Right. But there's actually, for the matter of fact, there's four ways to say agar according to the dictionary. So anybody who wants to talk, well, first pour as many Petri dishes as I have, and then we'll talk about it. All right. That's where I'm at. But anyway, so the Kosamui super strain, the PE were my first on PF cakes. And that was really all it took. From there, it was only a few months before I started growing gourmets, and then I really, I started cloning like wild mushrooms, like I cloned chicken in the woods, that was the first thing I ever cloned, I bought like 10 petri dishes off of eBay, it was like 40 bucks for these petri dishes, and I cloned some chicken in the woods, and I was just like, ah, this is so cool, like, why isn't everybody doing this, this is awesome, like, you can just take a piece of something, and put it on a petri dish, and then grow it infinitely, like, what, what is this, and so like, that for me was like the real, like, uh, I was I was hooked moment and, and you know it was only thanks to the magic mushrooms that I ever considered anything else um, so you know I really owe a lot to the psychedelic experience in general um, and the mushrooms really for opening the door and of course like I said the DMT for kind of checking all the boxes for me because like I said I'm still like whoa like I've got some questions I don't know that I'll ever get the answer to but some of the experiences were really cool like my favorite experience on DMT was like Everybody goes through like tunnel, like this wormhole thing before they break through, right? And like I went through this wormhole and then I entered into like this crystal palace that looked like an Alex Gray painting. And then after that, I was in like this black space. And I was standing before a 2,000 foot tall, or what seemed like a 2,000 foot tall, six armed figure. Uh, he had a beard and like his beard was braided. It was really cool. And he had, like I said, six arms, but he was twirling galaxies in his hands like a pizza and throwing them into the void and they'd land where they're going and psh, lots of light and like I don't know while he was doing this like I was just looking up at him and like I could feel him like 
saying that like I'm okay, like whatever I'm doing is is right, and like acknowledging me in such a positive way that like I came back, I was crying, it was beautiful, but I also didn't know what like what what had happened or what had transpired. And later, after thinking about it, like it it, it was in this weird way that like I, that 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 thing was me. Like you are the universe creating itself. And like I could see it now, looking in retrospect, but like that really achieved that like quintessential uh, uh, like the like oneness with the universe feeling for me, and that really like that really warmed my heart, man. That's like anytime I smell DMT, like I I, I I joke that it's like it smells like love, like and and that was like I came back with just such a different perspective on love itself for for myself and for for the world. Um, beyond that which the mushrooms gave me and for me like I just I couldn't help but think that you know there is a way that we're all connected that we can't see and and, and that you know it just helped me become such a much better person as a result and like and, and I actually started caring about other people and you know I just can't say enough positive things about psychedelics especially for veterans um, who, who may or may not be you know on the, the bad side of, of feeling depressed and suicidal you know it completely did a 180 for me you know I stopped doing all the drugs that I was doing I smoked pot for a long time but like I stopped smoking pot maybe five months ago or so um, and and you know just because it was giving me too much anxiety and and I was going way too inward with it but um, you know that was the only crutch I really ever had after after the psychedelic experience and um, like now I'll try and smoke pot and I look like that guy in the meme who's like the way too stone guy who's goes on like this and he's like and I'm just like, whoa, man, like, I can't believe I was just ripping, like, grams of oil a day, like, what, you know? So for me, it's it's interesting, because now I can actually get that, like, get something from pot instead of just using it, like, as, as a crutch, like I said. So that's kind of cool, you know, and, and I'm just proud of myself for being able to just step outside of that, you know, because I, I don't want to say I was addicted to it, but I couldn't do anything without it. A lot of what you just said resonates with me in that I went to school in San Francisco, shout out University of San Francisco. So there were a lot of novel molecules available, like, you know, everything was available, all the psychedelics, everything. And there was no like formal education in this stuff. You know, there was no harm reduction. There was no discussion about integration. It was just what do you got? What do you got today? And I had a breakthrough DMT experience very early on my freshman year. And it was actually, I had no idea what I was doing. I just had read a little bit about this stuff. It was available. Some people hyped it up and I had taken three hits of LSD, which I believe was my first LSD experience. And then when I was peaking on that, the DMT came out. So I'm like, yeah, let's see, let's see where this goes. And it blew my fucking mind. It was one of those experiences where like, as you're inhaling, you're like, I'm leaving now. Like I'm on my way somewhere. And then completely breakthrough. I was fortunately with some very good friends and they had sat in a circle around me. I was in the Japanese friendship garden, which is a beautiful part of Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. And I had an out-of-body experience and I had entity contact. I had that, more than anything, a sense of familiarity is what was amazing. It's like I completely got sucked out of my body. I don't know where I went, but I had that sense of I'm very familiar. I'm very comfortable here. Whatever this space is, I've been here before. I'll be back here again. And then probably a lot of other stuff happened, but I have no way of like bringing it back with me. When I did come back to, 
there was just so much going on. But when I came back to my body, one thing that really still stands out to me from that experience is I could control the tint on my vision. I didn't even know what I was doing or how, but it was like a television. Like I could blow it out and make it everything super bright and then I could go super dark. And what I took from that whole experience is that my body, our minds are these amazing technologies that we really don't fully understand yet. And that's a lot of what I've encountered in high dose mushroom experiences too, is just this really advanced level of technology that we don't fully understand. And anyone who says they understand what's going on in that space, I would want nothing to do with them because I think it goes way beyond us. But that's the exciting part is now we start to research it more and learn more. And like, if you can bring something back with you and you can put it out into the world and make your life a little better and uplift your community in some way, that's what it's all about for me. It's like, it's almost like if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, does it make a sound? If you have a psychedelic experience and you can't bring tangible benefits back for your life and your community, what was the point of it is kind of my my hot take on that. So I know that we're nearing the end of our session and I because we have you here and you've built an awesome brand and I think you're doing it for all the right reasons and I'm just so inspired by your vision and also the execution of that vision as so many people are. What are some parting shots you have for the micropreneurs listening, for people who are, you know, struggling with their brand, they're doing the hustle, they're putting in the work, they're passionate, they're motivated, and they're really hungry to get to that next level where maybe, you know, they have the cash flow to delegate and to hire someone so they don't have to be, you know, pulling these 18-hour days. I just love to hear from you. What are some words of wisdom that you can leave us with for micropreneurs who are really in this and who are really committing their time and their energy to the mushroom universe and uh, bringing mushrooms to the people? So really, you've got to follow your heart and you can't sell yourself out. Uh, don't do don't do things that you're not in love with just because you're trying to make a buck. That's really the, the, the advice I can give is it took me... Uh, I think we built the Reddit up for five, six years before I actually launched my website. And you know, I've done some small business on the side there, but really becoming known as the lion's mane expert was what really did it for my brand. And then that allowed me to do the other things that I'm doing. Um, and so for me, following my heart, going towards what I love uh, and, and love most about mushrooms, which is the lion's mane, uh, is, is what got me where I am today. You know, I do the other things, but um, uh, I really just found these niches that I fit into really well. Uh, after I, I focused my efforts and focused my energies. You know, I used to try and do everything that I could to make a buck. Now I do what I want to do to make bucks. And, you know, it's still a lot of work, but it's at least work that I can feel good about with my heart and with all my energy, my blood, my sweat, my tears uh, that I put into it. So that's really the biggest piece of advice I can give to any micropreneur is focus, focus, focus. Find what excites you the most, work towards it, and put that blip on your radar. You might not get to it tomorrow. You might not get to it the next day. Your path might change. But if you keep that blip on the radar, you'll always be working towards it, whether you're doing it consciously or unconsciously, and eventually you'll get there. And that's like that's the way I've always looked at it is I don't want my goal tomorrow. I mean, of course I do, but I know that it's going to take work. I know that it's going to take time, and I'm not going to get frustrated by not being there right now because I know that I'm going to get there if I just keep working towards it. And like I said, there's going to be deviations and, and things like that that adjust your course, but really it's it's about working towards what you know and working from the heart and 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 that'll get you where you want to be and anybody has any questions they can always reach out i'm, I'm the probably the most accessible guy on instagram doing what we do um i've gotten back to almost every dm that's ever been sent to me email is way better because i can actually get to it when i have time and it's not just like a frantic like oh hey yeah sure here's your thing but uh, seriously uh, i'm I, I try to be accessible because 
there's been a million people that I've wanted to reach out to that I've asked for help and, and trying to grow various brands. You know, I've not always done this. I've, I used to be a web design guy. I used to be a photographer. I used to do video. I used to do uh, coding and stuff like that. Like, and I would always have these people that I try to reach out to who are like the successful ones, right? And then they never get back to you. Even though they say, hey, we'll get back to you. They never get back to you. And I've always tried to be different. And you know, that's been a big sacrifice for me time-wise because I do get back to everybody who reaches out. Um, well, I try to. Instagram's hard because, like, the messages, once they're, like, 30 deep, I can't get to it anymore. It's I'm never going to scroll down that far. So that's why you got to email me or bump it, you know, whatever. But but seriously, anybody has any questions, anybody wants to, to sit down and powwow and, like, run their ideas by me, I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to talk with people. You know, I don't charge consultation fees for just talking um, and stuff like that. So uh, seriously, anybody listening that thinks they can benefit from half an hour, an hour with me, I'm, I'm all about it. Let's get on the calendar and let's, let's make it happen because, like I said earlier, I just want to see people grow mushrooms. I want to see people get excited about mushrooms. I don't want to see people have fungi impact them the way that it has impacted me and anything I can do to get people there I'm happy with it so you know that's that's really what I can leave with is reach out I'm here preach Mike motherfucking Tyson the one the only often imitated never duplicated seriously imitated let's talk about the scammers Instagram Instagram oh my god I get like 50 I went private for a month just to see if that would stop the scammers it did because they all have like this code that they run on their computers or whatever. But like I've got a special highlights thing on my Instagram for all the scammers. People stealing my face. People stealing my daughter's face. People stealing my wife's face. Like what the heck? And, and so while I was private, I was screening everybody who was following me. And I'd get like 10 a day who are just selling the same trash. It's like the same thing. Like I'm a professional psychedelic enthusiast. Hit me on WhatsApp. Hit me on Wicker. And it's like, dude, like the fact that these guys have so many profiles gets me hyped because I'm like, man, like that's like a third of my followers, I swear to God, are these like scammers. So Instagram needs to get their stuff together because this is, that's, it's just killing me. Like, I can't believe how many there actually are. And like, they're on different websites. Like I had one on DMT Nexus, trying to steal my face. I've got these two on Facebook who just won't ever go away. But they've got my kid's face on there and they're trying to sell drugs, you know? Like, I know that they're ripping people off, but like, I had one guy come to me and say, hey, you owe me 700 bucks because my partner sent you money on one of these accounts. And I looked at it and I'm like, that's a scammer account. Like, I'm sorry you sent your money to a stranger, but I can't do anything to you. And I was talking to one of my friends about it and he was like, oh, it sounds like a scam within a scam, bro. It sounds like a layered lasagna-like scam where they're just trying to scam you because they think that you'll give them the money and, and feel bad for the guy. And I'm like, dude, like, that's totally plausible. But, like, I feel so bad when I see these things because I'm like, somebody's getting beat. And, like, it's not me. So if you're not doing business with me on my website, you're not doing business with me. So let me just put that out there. That's the only place I'm doing business. And I don't have any other accounts, uh, especially with my face. Like, get out of here, you know? Like, I have the Horacium Labs, but that's got Horacium Labs all over it. I'm not selling you anything else but tincture. So I don't know. And if you're going to send your money to strangers for drugs on the Internet, get a small amount first. I'm not a lawyer or anything, but get a small amount. Don't send your life savings to strangers, man. <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah, seriously, these scammers are like rampant, man. I don't know. I don't know if you deal with it, but like every other Myco that I know deals with it. And it's just like crazy. Like even Darren, like running the podcast. It's like he's got so many followers and like 
Come on, man. How are you going to steal Darren's face? Weird times we live in, but all the more reason why we should connect personally with people and like build a sense of agency and trust with the people you're doing business with. That's a big reason we're hosting the incubator now. People do business with people that they know and trust. And how are you going to do that? The internet's not always the best way to do that. So I know that you've hosted an in-person event this year or maybe the last year. And I'm trying to do more of those events because I'm trying to you know do business and hang out and get to know people and our listeners personally right i don't i don't really want to be dealing with a bunch of like random pseudo proxy accounts or whatever like let's get to know each other i'm i'm very approachable as well you know most of the people who have reached out to me to be on the podcast if they're doing any kind of like verifiable mushroom work we'll find a way to work you into the schedule so hit me up and thank you so much for taking the time out of your insane schedule to come on the michaelpreneur podcast and i'll totally keep you up to date with what we're doing with the orphanage and you know various projects down here and i just really appreciate everything you're doing for the community and for mushrooms we love you very much hey man i love you too and if i could leave with a joke let me ask you, why should you not trust an atom? Why is that? Why is that? Because they make up everything. <laughs> There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many mycopreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the mycoverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up at Micopreneur Podcast. That's the handle. Don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Micopreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Micopreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Micopreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Micopreneur Podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.